0: Everybody, welcome back to Trad Man episode 8.
1: Jason, how you feeling? Oh, bro? I'm doing good, can't complain. Um, I uh, w- me and my wife were supposed to have our sixth child on Thursday, um, but the doctor... Praise, praise God, God, God man. but the but the doctor, uh, or I should say the hospital called and said that the beds were full, so they had to push her to Tuesday. Um, you know, the, the doctor was wanting to induce her because we live. You know, a good little ways away from the hospital because uh, my, my wife mm-hmm. drives over uh, to Sugarland to uh, a Catholic doctor. Um, so you know, uh, having a doctor that's in li- in line with your with your morals and beliefs is always a lot easier. And plus, my wife really likes this this doctor over in Sugarland, so we make the drive. But the doctor was worried that being so far away, with the especially with the sixth child, which will be my fourth son. Um, that she didn't want to wait she advised us we not wait for the uh for it to just have a sudden onset if we could so we decided sure. to shoot for friday well that got changed to tuesday so hopefully this week uh you know we'll be bringing a new son to the world
0: man that's fantastic is uh she comfortable everything okay right now she good to go yeah or? yeah
1: i mean there's no there's no okay, health good. issues but uh if you've been good. around women uh, coming up on their, you know, close to their tenth month of pregnancy, um, they are ready to be done with it. It's like get this thing out <laughs> <Right>. of me, <laughs> yeah.
0: Roger. That well, uh, we'll we'll certainly keep y'all in our prayers as uh, as this important uh, day comes forth, and uh, maybe by the time we talk to you next week, uh, you'll have some good news oh, for yeah, us. Definitely. Uh, let's go ahead and say our opening prayer. Are you cool with the uh, the Veni Sancti Spiritus? I'm cool with it. All right. And those of you joining along, um, uh, please uh, please join us and let us invoke the divine blessing and hope that uh, our discussion is our discussion tonight uh, leads to some edification and and hopefully some spiritual fruition in your lives. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Vini, Sancti Spiritus, reple tuora corda fidelium, et tui amodis in eis ignima Imite spiritum tuum et crea buntur.
1: Et renovabis facem terra.
0: Oremos. Deus qui corda fidelium, Sancti Spiritus, ilistrationi docuisti. Danobis in iorum, Spiritu recta sapere, et de eos semper consolociana godere per Christum Domino nostrum. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. Did you catch any college football today? You
1: know, this is the first weekend since the season started that I haven't.
0: Well, let me just go ahead and let everybody know. The Iowa Hawkeyes won. And uh, they beat Colorado State 24 to 14. For any of our listeners who uh, might be anywhere near the state of Iowa, go Hawks.
1: Okay. Oh, man, you got me dancing. That was over all here. I had.
0: Hey man, when the when the Hawks win, the Hawks win. You
1: know, marching <laughs> to the beat of a of a different drum, right?
0: That was I. I spent three years in Iowa City. Uh, I had before before I went to the University of Iowa. I had never even heard of the Iowa Hawkeyes. Well, I guess I'd heard of them, but I didn't. I didn't know anything about them or follow them. Um, I had never set foot in the state of Iowa until I went to admitted students day, and then. Uh, as soon as I went to my very first football game, I was hooked, and uh, I'm an Iowa Hawkeye fan for life, and um, any Nebraska Cornhusker fans listening to this show, well, it was nice having you while you were here. Um, we uh, we will miss you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, hopefully hopefully, you will still tune into our show, and I will try not to pick on your football team too much. Um, what else is going on in the world today? Oh, something stupid happened, didn't it? Am I wrong?
1: <laughs> well, at the, at the well, Supreme Court. Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of a, an open ended question. Yeah, no, uh, earlier this week, I remember I came across a story from ABC News that talked about a uh, dedicated group of more than 500 current and former American women Olympians and professional and collegiate athletes is warning the Supreme Court that eroding access to abortion care in America will be, quote, devastating, unquote, to women's athletics at all levels and uh i remember i sent that to you and i was like and i
0: laughed and i and, went, I, okay, and I remember i i, I gotta talk i made the this. comment because
1: i saw it on twitter i made the comment you know and it's true see the, the abortion has never been about health care it's always been about killing that which has gotten in the way of your ambitions we uh because the catholic church makes
0: well uh, we make a distinction between procured abortions and uh, operations t- that are to save a woman's life in the case of something where like a, uh, a, 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 a tubular pregnancy, I cannot remember it, what
1: those are called. Oh, um, been, let me see if I can find it.
0: My, pardon me. My my medical uh, terminology is just completely flown out of my brain, but we make distinctions about things like that. So this isn't, it isn't a healthcare debate, you know, it's just not. And, uh, any attempt to make it so, I believe, is intellectually dishonest. I believe, but, I, I, I believe, it's called—if
1: I'm saying it right—ectopic, e c t o p i c. Yes,
0: there you go, there you go.
1: I mean, ectopic. I mean, if we have any listeners, they should know by now that they're gonna have to look up their own words.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but there's something, there's something even like stranger happening here that I wanted to touch on, which is. People in America simply just do not know how their government works. Like we have no, I guess they don't teach civics anymore in high school, but for the people who spent all that time at the Supreme Court protesting or trying to make your voices heard to the Supreme Court, we have three branches of government. One of them passes laws, one of them enforces laws, and then the third one just interprets the laws that are already on the books. That's it. That's all they do. These supreme court people have lifetime tenure on the supreme court and that's for that's that's so that they're not influenced by people like people who would protest on the steps of the supreme court. Your job in the supreme court is simply to f- interpret the laws that are written and to find out if those laws pass constitutional muster. That's it. You don't make laws in the supreme court. That's what your congress people are for. You idiots. And so the point I was trying to make here is educate yourself for five minutes on how your government actually works, what it is that this constitutional republic and how it's set up and how you can how the Constitution actually gives you outlets for making your voices heard. It really does that. And then it created a third separate branch of government whose sole job is just to protect the minority from the majority so that if the majority of people out there decide that african-americans shouldn't have any rights well the majority should rule right well the majority can rule sometimes but in some cases where the majority wants to gang up on the minority we have amendments to the constitution in place that that doesn't happen and that's what the supreme court is there for supreme court's there to say yeah i understand that congress passed this law but this law is in violation of the 14th amendment so it the law can't stand. And that's it. And that's all the judicial branch of government does. So why don't you go back to the Supreme Court there on the steps, pack up your people, pack up all your placards and all your signs and all your stupid shock slogans and your mindless token tantrums, and walk down over to the big building um, you know, where the two houses of Congress are, are, are situated, and maybe let some of them hear your word. In fact, just go home.
1: Actually, you guys should just... Well, and not that, not that I want to uh, necessarily stand up or, or, or defend them, but I, I guess in a way you can understand the misconception that people have of our government because, let's be honest, even the Supreme Court have widely abused their powers for decades now. The courts, you know, they've, they've taken on more power than they should. Um, you know, as I say, legislating from the bench... You know, the presidency, of course, has garnered quite a bit more power than was intended. Um, so, yeah, I mean. And it all goes back to Roe v.
0: Wade. In fact, I wonder if most of these people who are on this, these steps of the Supreme Court would find out that one of the critics of Roe v. Wade was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the reason she was a critic of Roe v. Wade was not because she didn't think it was good policy. She didn't like the court making those kinds of decisions. Yeah. And I agree with her. Her idea was we live in a, in a type of republic where the people should decide what the laws are. But if nine people who nobody elected and who, know, and who will never face an electorate, nine people in black robes deciding amongst themselves what types of laws the American people will live under because they think it's a good idea, well, there's a word for that. It's not constitutional democracy. It's not Republican democracy. It's judicial oligarchy. Now, you might say that that's the kind of world you want to live in, but what happens when the Supreme Court, what happens when those nine people decide amongst themselves uh, for things that you don't like? And for sometimes in in the case of liberals, that's happened too, and they scream and they yell how unfair that is. Well, have fun with the beast of your own creation, because... uh, it was. I don't think it was ever the intention of the founding fathers of the United States of America that all 50 states would all live under the exact mm-hmm. same types of laws in every situation in every case. I don't think it was ever their intention that the gun laws of California be exactly the same as the gun laws in Texas. It's two separate states, two totally different cultures, and two totally separate groups of people who may decide amongst themselves what types of laws they'd like and to live it- under. But if you got nine people in black robes who nobody voted for making those decisions for you, well Well you
1: know. then that's one reason that uh you know I, I think that the civil so when you go back to the Civil War, it's a much more complex issue than just uh slavery. Um because people were choosing sides and choosing who they were going to fight for not solely based on whether they supported slavery or not. I mean it was, you know, you you had many people fighting for the south who were against slavery but could not fight against their home state and their family because pre-civil war, you know, from from what I've gathered through the re- year seemed much more important than loyalty to the union. Loyalty to state was supreme. You know, state and as far as the in- you know the actual states not big big s but little s the uh
0: well the civil war was fought by you know i think a million and a half people for probably just as many reasons i i I mean the impetus that brings about the war is the existence of slavery in the american south and the 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 republic being founded with slaves in the south as well as in some states in the north by the way Mm -hmm. um led to a uh this 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 crisis of mission statement right so you think of the declaration of independence as a mission statement and it's got this idea in here uh rooted in the judeo-christian ethic of the dignity of the human being as created in the image and likeness of god that all men are created equal well that Even even the even slave owners like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington saw the hypocrisy in that. They, I mean, and they, they wrote letters back and forth to a lot of their own uh, contemporaries, really desperately looking for ways for this not to apply to the descendants of Africans who were enslaved in the American South, and they could not come up with one. And so finally, they settle on this idea: well, they're not people; they're not human beings. I mean, that's always well, that's what the you natural do when you course of, de- yeah, of- when you want to deproperty yeah. and 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 violate people's civil and human rights you just call them you I mean, dehumanize them yeah, that's I what mean, you do
1: it's, it's kind of like what the the but, nazis did to the jews you know i mean
0: exactly so, but even they found that very yeah. unconvincing thomas jefferson in one letter he wrote to one of his contemporaries contemporaries complained that well the the africans don't have language See, they don't have i mean they they've learned some they've learned some words and they can communicate but they don't have language like we have language and Thomas Jefferson was like, come on. They, they don't have language like us because we won't let them learn to read or write. Like, we've made laws against it. We've made laws making it illegal for them to go to school. Like, come on. That's that's not convincing either. So they, they desperately tried well, to come up with a way, but it, it wouldn't work. And eventually this led to a situation where uh, a political situation by the election of 1860 brings about a civil war. Now, you're right, though. Not every person who fought for the South f- fought for slavery per se. Uh, I mean, I do think that the that the that the war principally was about that issue, and that's sort of the main thing that the war is fought over politically. But um, a, there were a lot of people in the well, in the, and I've, I mean, like
1: people in the North who didn't give a damn about no,
0: slavery but wanted to preserve the no, Union.
1: They wanted know? to do that. And if you look at Lincoln's writing and some of his speeches, he was not a friend. Of uh, black Americans, um, I mean at the end of the day his his main goal was not to free the slaves but to preserve the union um, and you know the story goes with uh, uh, unless it's been debunked, but the story that i've that that I've read and and, and heard when you know when I was younger was just like using uh, General Robert E. Lee, you know uh, the Union recruited him to lead their army. But he said, "I can't fight against my home state of Virginia," and uh, to my knowledge, I don't think General Lee owned any slaves.
0: Oh no, General Lee owned a lot no. of slaves. Yeah, he was a he was, a big, he was a big slaver. In fact, are you sure about that? Uh, Arlington, oh yeah, one hundred percent. He worked African slaves most of his adult life, and um, Ar- Arlington National Cemetery was his plantation, um, just across the Potomac River, and they turned it into the national cemetery uh, so that. So that Lee could never come home without looking at all the boys he'd killed, uh, it was it was it was an awful war. I mean, no no mistake about it. I think what seven hundred thousand American lives lost oh, in that war. There was quite a bit, yeah. But here's an interesting fact about Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee is the first Union general ever to consider ever ever to surrender to a Confederate army. Most people don't know that. So here's the story. Uh, it's eighteen sixty one. I believe it's 1861. Uh, Texas has just seceded from the Union after Florida, and um, there's a garrison at, uh, in San Antonio at the Alamo, and it's a, it's a United States Army garrison, and it's under the command of General Robert E. Lee. And the Texas legislature votes to secede. The Texas militia surrounds the Alamo and demands that the garrison surrender. Lee, wanting to avoid an armed conflict with the Texas state militia, um, and not, not believing at this point that this is really going to turn into any kind of war, so it's not worth, it's not worth uh, killing people over or getting people killed over, walks out and surrenders the garrison to the Texas militia. So he, he's, he is the first Union general ever to surrender to a Confederate army. Most people don't know that. Kind of an interesting <laughs> little, little story. But, uh, no, no, go, go learn, go learn how your government works, folks. So, write your congressmen, write your senators, uh, and, and the people at the Supreme Court, you know, we have, we have way over politicized that institution and the Supreme Court. You're right. Did that to themselves. I well,
1: think, I think over, they did it. Over Roe I think Wade, they, yeah. Though. And they've, e- even before that, they've been abusing the, as everybody talks about the general welfare and the commerce clause, um, but, you know, let, let me tell you a little interesting story I had this week. And, and by the way, yeah, I just, uh, I fact-checked you because that's what we do today. Um, <laughs> good, good. Yeah, it says Lee himself owned a small number of slaves in his lifetime. So I didn't realize that. And I was learned something new every day, I guess.
0: But 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 now here's what's interesting, though. Lee is a complicated guy because Lee is part of the Southern aristocracy, that that planter class, who themselves own and work um, adult slaves and, and and children's slaves, too, um, but... They uh, they abhor slave traders like they just think they're the scum of the earth, and it, which is hilarious. Maybe they, that's what maybe we that's did what not, I'm
1: conflating together then.
0: Well, it's kind of this weird way they sort of wash their hands like Pontius Pilate did of, you know, well, you can't look, look how good I am that I abhor these slave traders because they're in this disgusting and dirty business and they they dehumanize and degrade people. But me owning slaves, you see, well, that's just different. I mean, that's what everybody does. They, they always excuse their own behavior and, and look for all the fault in everybody else. But it was one of the reasons why Lee did not like um, the guy that would later go on to make the Ku Klux Klan famous, Nathan Bedford huh. Forrest. Because Nathan Bedford Forrest was in the slave trading business. He was not from the planter class. He, wasn't, he didn't go to a good military school. He wasn't from a good family. He was kind of a scoundrel. Yeah. And uh, the, those, those, those Southern gentlemen, aristocracy types—they just did not approve of that kind of individual command our arm is you know he's just one of those types of individuals so <laughs> yeah lee, lee is a lee is an interesting uh and 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 rather snooty character from american history if you ever read some uh, personal accounts from him, he's kind of a he kind of goes down in history as a real snob but um well yeah it, but for people who knew him personally let but, me
1: you know. let me tell you this uh the uh, the story that uh the conversation i had this week and, and it actually is talking about the north and the south so me and a friend. Uh, we're having a conversation this week and we were over text and we were just talking about what we consider like our top three, you know, greatest movies. And we both agreed Lonesome Doves, number one. But, uh, we started talking, we started talking about how North and the South is one of the, the, the best, you know, I know it was a mini series, but, uh, but one of the best films out there. And I remember I've always appreciated about the North and the South is, Patrick Swayze, you know, he he was part of the uh, South Carolina family who owned slaves, and I don't remember the actor's name that uh, lived in Pennsylvania and his family owned a bunch of factories. Well, you know, they became friends. They met at West Point, and and the the Pennsylvanian from the north came to Patrick Swayze's land, and rightfully so, criticized him for his slaves, right, and the way they treated him, and, and everything like that. I. And then Patrick Swayze visits his friend in the north and then rightfully criticizes them how they're treating the people that work for them. Um, you know, They don't necessarily have a roof over their head, full bellies, um, and, and I believe they might have been Irish immigrants I, around that time. I don't, I'm not quite sure, but they were, they were, they were immigrants and they were being treated horrible, and he criticized them for that. And I, and I remember the Pennsylvanian, I, a, I don't know the actor's name, but he tells Patrick Swayze, at least my people are free to go do what they want. And Patrick Swayze's like, well, at least my people have food over, you know, food in their belly and a roof over their head every night. And they went on. And, and I remember always thinking, you know what, that was, it, it, it wasn't biased in saying this is, you know, the North was good, the South was bad, but it but it accurately portrayed the, the bad in both. And, of course, you can get into Catholic theology about um, the laborer deserves his wages, you know, in, in the sense that the 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 North was not treating their workers in these factories, you know, well, inhumanely. And then, of course, Catholic theology in, in the South about taking away the dignity of, of slaves, you know, uh, their human dignity. Mm-hmm. So I, I, we were talking about that, and I've always enjoyed the north and the south and that's something that's always kind of stuck out with me about that movie is their their fair assessment of both situations
0: we should do we should do an episode on the encyclical rerum novarum uh which deals a lot with um uh, like the catholic labor movement and catholic cat like the the sort of development of catholic social teachings in the like the middle of the 19th century because that's a really good encyclical. It's a really it, it has some um, really profound things to say in it. Some things that get taken totally off the rails to advocate for things like communism and all other sorts of bonkers shenanigans, which don't have anything to do with Rerum Navarum, But uh, we we all know how that goes. Wink, wink. And uh, <clears throat> we should we should do an episode on that. Well, I'll keep that in my back
1: pocket. Well, I'm trying to look up the actor that played. Oh here it is James Reed as George Hazard I believe that was him this looks like him but apparently there's been a more recent uh, North and south and of course that's not the one I'm talking about I haven't I haven't seen that one but the I, I honestly think the best like
0: film I've ever seen on the Civil War was George Burns documentary. It's uh, six or seven parts each part's about two hours long so you're gonna you're gonna invest some time into it. But man, it is a it is an amazing uh, exploration into the politics that drove the Civil War, the and 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 the battle tactics and the the individual personalities of the some of the more famous people that were involved in it. I have to um, check it out. Yeah. I, I, I I personally hold this view that all American politics is a continuation of the politics of eighteen sixty that if you want to understand the United States of America as a political entity, you have to understand the American Civil War. I think, War. That, I think um, that's a fair we, assessment. <laughs> we, we still fight the Civil War today. It's, it's not fought with guns and bombs anymore, thank God. But the political uh, divisions in our country, I mean, all of your famous Supreme Court cases that you can think of, of Roe versus Wade, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson, um, uh, let's see. Obergefell v. Hodges, um, uh, DC versus. Uh, Just in case our listeners don't uh, know, Mark
1: things. is a lawyer by trade. Oh yeah, so <laughs> well, all your
0: all your famous Supreme Court cases that make the news are all based on the Fourteenth Amendment. Of I was going to ask you, wasn't
1: Roe v. Wade based on the Fourteenth Amendment?
0: It was, and I mean, all your famous ones are all the all the Supreme Court cases that we care about, that, that make it into the news, that get Americans all riled up, get them out to the steps of the court with their placards and their cards Well, Let me and ask you this: what, what about gay
1: marriage? What was there? Was it the Fourteenth? They just they used the Justifier Fourteenth
0: Amendment. absolutely 14th amendment because the 14th amendment is what states that the individual see there there's a fifth amendment to the united states constitution that says that the federal government cannot deprive citizens of life liberty or property without the due process of law it doesn't say anything about the state of north carolina can't do that and so and it also doesn't define who a citizen is constitutionally now there's there's always been the rule that congress decides who's a citizen but it was never clear why for example i'm a citizen but why the 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 enslaved person working out in the field isn't one that was never defined constitutionally very well so the the 14th amendment comes about right after the end of the civil war and it states basically that every person who's born in the united states or who is born to parents or who is born to US citizen parents is a citizen of the United States and no state can deprive any citizen of the United States without life liberty or of life liberty or property without the due process of law and then there's other kinds of legal theories about substantive due process versus procedural due process which I will not bore you with here except to say that it's interesting to me that that amendment more so than most of the others, is what drives all the politics that like pisses people off in this country more than anything else. One thing that I think is interesting is pre eighteen sixty, there were like a variety of political parties that would run for president, and in fact, it wasn't entirely true that to become that when you voted for the president, you would vote for the same vice president of the same party. A lot of times, a guy would be, make it into presidency. And then the vice president who was elected was from a totally different and opposing party. That happened a lot. And you would have like uh, you would have the Whig Party, and you would have the the, the anti Masonic Party, oh. you know, which sounds cooler than it was. But <laughs> anyway, um, you, <laughs> you'd have the uh, uh, the No Nothing Party, which was a very anti Catholic party. You'd have all these kind of different political parties that would run for office. But after eighteen sixty. Every American political contest is a contest between two parties: the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. That started in the 1860s. That's the very first time that it ever happened, and it's all and it's been like that ever since. And I contend that's because we're still fighting over things like who, who well, who is a citizen? Like, what does citizenship grant you? What rights does an individual citizen have? And and to what extent? Are we allowed, do, do we allow a government to supersede those rights for other purposes? These are huge questions and they, they drive at the heart of this issue of slavery and issues that came after that, which are largely rooted in some of the same questions. So yeah, I, I highly contend that I highly recommend George Burns' documentary. It's fantastic. That, that'd
1: be actually a very good discussion to expand on one day because, uh, you know, I've I've read a little bit about the Civil War through my life, but uh, I grew up with a World War II veteran, so I've always been really big into World War II, and then e- even leading mm-hmm. up to it, back to World War One. So the Civil War has kind of been uh, hit or miss for me, but uh, no, uh, the well,
0: World War II was another was World War II. I think was another example when the Supreme Court, in order to do what individual members on the court thought was quote unquote the right thing. Instead of interpreting what was in the Constitution, yeah. led to the violation of individual human rights in the case of the Japanese oh, internment. Yeah. Um, the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution is clear that no citizen can be deprived of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law. That's what happened to these people. the The federal government said, "Well, there's something I don't know. You know, Japanese Americans they they could potentially." be they seem like to me the kind of people who could be traitors so let's deproperty them and, and turn them into camps and the supreme court had the supreme court done its job of saying okay our job is not to determine what's good policy our job is to determine if the constitution says the president can do that that's it that's all our job is they would have come to the conclusion that that cannot be allowed but instead justice hugo black who was typically one of the more liberal members of the court, said, "Hey, come on, we got to help the old man win the war." So I know it's a lot of you liberals out there who are thinking, "Oh yeah, but we need an activist Supreme Court because they're going to defend us from the from the you know from all the bad people we don't like." Well, you hope so.
1: Well, it it you kind of so. along the the same concept of uh, you know you have to be willing to stand up for the freedom of. of people you may disagree with um you know as long as it's not a moral or ethical issue but their freedom to 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 practice or do what they want because one day you know those tables are going to turn on you if you continue down that path of uh of stamping out any opposition because eventually you're not going to be in the majority anymore
0: if you if any of you are interested in, in the case i'm talking about it's uh uh Korematsu versus the United States. It's one of the more infamous decisions of the Supreme Court, right up there with Dred Scott um, at a time when the Supreme Court, uh, and by the way, Dred Scott, another perfect example. Although he didn't really have any constitutional basis because, like I said, the 14th Amendment had not been uh, 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 created yet. But essentially the reasoning in Dred Scott that Roger Taney was going for is he was trying to avoid a war, if you can believe that. (laughs) <laughs> Which is interesting because the Dred Scott decision is one of the principal catalysts that propels us into a war. Uh, but you know, me, judicial activism ain't all it's cracked up to be. Believe me. Let me, me ask
1: it. you this: so, from from the way we're talking um, about the the founding documents and 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 the decisions that the courts have made, particularly the Supreme Court. You know, I like how you said in the beginning. I guess I never really thought about it about how the the Constitution doesn't necessarily define at a federal level what a citizen is, what rights they have, because I guess it goes back to, again, what you were saying about the founders were having issues um, with what they were uh, preaching versus what they were practicing and making those Mm -hmm. um, mesh. But uh, to, to my question, do you, based on all this, do you feel like through the years the Supreme Court has actually taken on quite a bit more cases than it should, um, con- considering the fact that there's a lot of vague and uh, language, and a lot of uh, not really, I shouldn't say vague, but a lot of precise language on who people are at a federal level, what they're allowed to do. Um, because as time goes on, and a- a- looking back, it seems, it does seem like the, the Supreme Court has taken the stance, and the government as a whole has taken a stance that. The, uh what they you know that everybody needs to be in uh uh needs to be uniform uh you know all the states um and and a lot of these decisions have added to that mindset of the people of the United States would you agree with that
0: Yeah and it, again like I know this is a, a show about Catholicism and I know we've totally gotten <laughs> off the rails this is a very interesting discussion nonetheless but it gets into this conversation of this So, there's this language in the 14th Amendment that says that no state shall deprive any citizen of the United States of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law. So, there's this this legal doctrine out there called substantive due process, which is different than procedural due process. So, procedural due process is um, your day in court, okay? So, they can't deproperty you until they have determined in a court of law and you've had a ju- judicial proceeding and you've been adjudicated guilty by a jury of your peers and the you've gone through the process, right? The procedural due process. Then there's this other doctrine called substantive due process, which was controversial. It is controversial still to this day. Justice Antonin Scalia actually did not believe in, in substantive due process because he says it's not that's not discussed anywhere in the amendment. There's no such... That's not constitutional. It's a, it's something the court invented, but anyway, the substantive due process is about, um, well, it's 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 more complicated than I think. I really want to get into here, but it does it does get the Supreme Court involved in cases that people would not generally think that they would be. For example, uh, gay marriage, you know like like what in the world does that have to do with depriving citizens of life liberty or property without the due process of law and that would be Anthony Scalia and my contention is that it, it, it doesn't this really is not an issue for the Supreme Court to decide I mean every <clears throat> if people can make up their their own I mean if if marriage at least as a legal construction is something that the people, have invented then why can't the people invent the rules for it instead of us instead of needing the Supreme Court to do it now obviously in a Roman Catholic sense marriage is a sacrament and therefore not a human construction it's not something that we've invented so it's therefore it's not something we can change the rules on I'm speaking more just in terms of the government's legal treatment yeah. of it so the, the government and its laws are something that just humans invented so you know that that's more along the lines of what I'm talking about so please don't okay misunderstand. What I'm well, saying. you
1: know, we're talking about history and all that. And, you know, I mentioned that, that my love growing up as far as historically was World War II leading up to that. But in recent years, um, I have fallen in love with studying the, the history of the Catholic Church all the way back to ancient times. Um, maybe, maybe this doesn't go back to ancient times necessarily, but, uh, I, I know one thing me and you were talking about, and it'll bring us back to Catholicism. Um, looking back at the the traditional Latin Mass versus uh, the Novus Ordo Mass, I was thinking um, about one thing that I really um, wish they hadn't suppressed or dropped from the old Mass and brought into the new. Now there's there's several things. I mean we're not you know I, I'm not saying that this is this this is the only thing or that you're saying well you know whatever your answer will be will be the only thing, but Let me start with you. If there was one thing that you had to pick that really stood out to you about either why it was dropped or you wish it hadn't been dropped um, from the traditional Latin mass of the Novus Ordo, what what would you say? What would be one of your top picks?
0: I guess in general the way I think about it is the length – so there are a lot of things that did make it into the Novus Ordo that come from the, the what we call the traditional Latin Mass, but it's like the way that they translated those things, like just totally empty. Well, I'm not to say totally, but it man, it it really seems a lot emptier. One of my favorite prayers from the traditional Latin Mass is um, it's in the. Offertory prayers. It's right when um, it's actually just before the priest does the uh, the washing of the hands, and I will uh, I'll I'll read it in Latin and then I'll I'll translate it. But I, cause I think the Latin really conveys just just something extra. Um, it says Deus uh, qui humani substantiae dignatium mirabiliter condostisti et mirabilis. Reformasti Danibus per uius aquae et vini mysterium Deus divinitatis esse consortis, qui humanitatis nostri feri dignatus es participes, Jesus Christus, filius tuus Dominus noster, qui tecum vivit et regnat in unitati Spiritus Sancti Deus per omnia secula seculorum. Amen. Which translates into, O God, who in creating human nature did us wonderfully dignify it and still more wonderfully restore it. Grant that by the mystery of this water and wine we may be made partakers of his divine nature, who vouchsafe to be made partaker of our human nature, even Jesus Christ our Lord thy Son, who with thee liveth and reigneth in the unity of the Holy Ghost, God, world without end. Amen. So that idea of of us becoming partakers of his divine nature by participating in Holy Communion was so is so powerful for me. It is so um, it levels me when I think about it. It's almost. I it's one of those things that I go no that can't be right. But, who who dare say something like that? One of the things I think, and we talked a lot about uh, some other Abrahamic religions in our last episode, Ju- Judaism and Islam. One of the beefs that those both of those two religions have with us is, how dare you say something like that? And I got to agree with them. Because even in, like when we pray the Our Father, there is a prayer that comes before that where the, the priest says, Precepti salutari bus moni tia divini instituzione formati audemus demus dicere. Which means, how dare we say, we dare to say Our Father are in heaven because to call god your father who the hell do you think you are was bait is would have been any jewish response to that in the first century right who do you think well, you just, are to say something just a like side that? note on that it,
1: i i i incredibly
0: i powerful. heard scott it's where we get the word audacity Audemos dichere. it's from the word audacity like how dare you you know <laughs>
1: Well, no, I was just gonna say just to add add to that real quick. I remember hearing Scott Hahn talk one time. I believe it was Scott Hahn, and he said that he was gonna have a debate with the with the Muslim guy, and I guess they had mm-hmm. a pre meeting or whatever um, to set it up. And Scott Hahn kept talking about our you know as our Father God, uh, you know God the Father, and the Muslim guy was he said was getting upset with him because. Uh, like you said how dare you call god your father you know it was it was right. kind of that mindset he said that it was like you know but he was again he was like but god is my father he is a loving father um and then of course based on the theology of of islam he was having an issue with that so but anyway that that, that was just to go to your point there
0: no it's, he's absolutely right and in fact it it's 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 incredibly offensive in both of Judaism and Islam to say something like that because they don't, and this is one of the principal reasons they don't believe in the divinity of Christ. How could God lower Himself to become one of us? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. And and because if God lowers Himself to become one of us, then that means He's elevated us to one of Him. Like they they would they would totally agree that those that's the consequences of believing in the incarnation. Well, the Catholic Church affirms that and says, yeah, yeah, you're right, but that because that's what it means. Quae humanitatis nostrae dignatus es participes, may we be partakers of His divine nature, who vouchsafe to be made partaker of our human nature. That is incredible. Now, I think in the Novus Ordo Missae there is a prayer like that, but it translates into something like, "By the mystery of this wa- may the mystery of this bread and wine, may we come to partake in the divinity of Christ who humbled Himself to share in our humanity." And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, the essence of the prayer is still there, but I feel like we've lost a lot man I just can't I can't help but feel like you have taken um, I don't know there's something about taking music and stripping it down to one or three chords that just really makes you really makes you kind of sad but what about uh, what about you what were some of the things that you were thinking of in in terms of what about the traditional Latin mass versus the Novus Ordo Mise that, uh, that you lament the passing of?
1: Well, uh, w- one of my top <clears throat> choices, I guess to say, for that is the last gospel from John 1.1. Um, when I was going through my conversion process, like I've said before, it was through a, a Novus Ordo parish. And uh, we would, <clears throat> you know, at the end of mass, this was of course never said because it was suppressed. In the new mass, but as I started studying church history and 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 everything, I you know I came across the traditional Latin mass and I found out about this last last gospel. And I even remember thinking, before I even started coming to the traditional Latin mass, when I found out about that, I was like, "Why would you drop that?" Like, I mean, for, what, what, one of the points of uh, emphasis in Vatican II was to have more readings from Scripture, which is a good thing. And it's like, why would you drop this incredible passage, you know, um, at the end of Mass? Because I think it's a perfect thing to, uh, a perfect thought to go away from Mass with. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was made nothing that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to give testimony of the light that all men might believe through him. He was not the light, but was to give testimony of the light. That was the true light, which enlightened every man that cometh into this world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave them he gave them the power to be made the sons of God to them that believe in his name who are born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory the glory as it were of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and in reading this Laus tibi Christe Laus tibi Christe <clears> in <throat> reading this again um and, and after listening to your you know, what, what you were speaking about there, you can see that, you know, that we become the sons of God by the power of God. The word was made flesh. Who is the word? The word is what created everything. Nothing was made without him, but he comes down to us on this earth so that we may be lifted up to him. And then, of course, during the ma- uh, during the mass at the end of the or at the last gospel, when, when we hear that the word was made flesh, we always genuinely reflect and uh during that because it is such a powerful statement um but yeah i mean it's just it's just an amazing very deep uh scripture that just speaks to who jesus was what he did for us you know why he did it um it's, it's just it's just a it, re- it really recaps all of yeah, salvation history, which is sa- which is which which happens
0: I feel in the tradition the traditional latin mass for me when you look at it thematically and structurally it is a you it is a reenactment of all of salvation history from the very beginning right to the very end. If you think about the the prayers at the foot of the altar, okay? Think about Moses at Mount Sinai and when uh, when Moses says to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. Get in preparation, because we're at the foot of this mountain, and something you know, something's about to happen. We need to be prepared to ascend. And when uh, you know the priests who approach, that says in uh, Exodus nineteen twenty two, even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down, bring Aaron up with you, because Aaron is the priest, right? But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. So there's this idea that, that it's to ascend to the altar of God is to walk up a holy mountain. And you better be ready, because you are going to face some, you're going to face a personality that is wholly other than what you are prepared for. It, 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 if you're not prepared, it will it will incinerate you. But if you're holy, the fire won't burn you, kind of a thing, right? So that, that kind of thing starts at the prayers at the foot of the altar. Then it all goes all the way through to the consummation of the Eucharist. And then at the very end, John takes us all the way back to the beginning and the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and John takes us through uh, you know a four or five paragraph summation of everything that we've just witnessed and that's right before we walk out the door so that we've we've it gives us a better understanding on on a cognitive level of everything we've just e- experienced Participationally, I don't even know if that's a word, but we've just participated in all these things, and here's John saying, "This is everything that just happened." You know, you were right there in the beginning, and now you've come down to be participants in 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 the sonship of God, full of grace and truth. Go out into the world now, you know, and 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 spread the word about what just happened it, here.
1: It's incredibly. It powerful. is, and it, and you I, can.
0: I can't imagine why
1: they got and, rid of it and that. you and you can <laughs> see the wisdom in Holy Mother Church by giving that to us for hundreds of years, you know even even thousands of years, I guess you could say um but you know i wonder when did when did the
0: last gospel start sh- i don't know I don't the either to and that's that, that's, that's and why I was you. hesitant to
1: say thousands, but I mean we've had the verse let's see let's see if I can find here while we're talking, I'll see if I can find. I, any information I can't
0: find I mean I I don't have an iteration of the roman mass without it Yeah so I don't know if uh let's see here
1: well and and, and no, why we're and, and why we're yeah. looking at it here I was going to say another another travesty is the 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 prayers at the foot of the altar um uh, 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 and it goes to what you were talking about about the significance of why the priest Say those prayers first, and then, and then once you know that, and you, in and, and you're in a in a novus ordo mass, it's almost like why why are they walking up so nonchalantly to the altar of God? Um, I, I know, I because well,
0: I, it's a it's a table yeah. now.
1: Yeah, well, I know they go up there and they, <laughs> you know, they they kiss the altar and all and all that stuff, but it's almost like the 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 priest are humbling themselves in the sight of God before they dare approach the altar, you know? um, And, and, and that's another one this,
0: which by the way is a more accurate way of, if if you wanted to, because I think this idea was, well, you know, Jesus was celebrating a Passover meal. So we want the mass to be more of a meal and we want that aspect of it emphasized more because uh, when you celebrate a meal, it's much more casual and you don't, you don't kiss the table that you say a meal on and it needs to be more like that. But but here's the problem with that. You know, and I go, we're going back now to to people projecting on on to first century Judaism, things that the people themselves did not think like that. I don't know if you've ever been into a, an observant Jewish household, but all of the things that they use to celebrate their Passover Seder, their, their the, the the cups and the dishes and the chinaware and the silverware and all that stuff, that stuff is all set apart just for that. It stays in its own special little cupboard in its own special little area. The 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 tablecloths that are used are only used for that. It's not it is not just sitting down and having a meal. And if you th- you know and if you think that that's what they were doing then you obviously don't know anything about Judaism, first century or otherwise, okay? And you're projecting on to them your own lackadaisical attitudes about religion, uh, and it's just you know it, it's not real. It's a it's a figment of your imagination. It's one of those things that I just think, man, all these guys would have done well to educate themselves just a little bit on all these things that they believe so much. But you know, they're PhDs, so they know everything. Well, it was so, you know.
1: I was reading actually today in that Annabelle Bugini book that you know and it's a battle we're still obviously fighting today, but a lot of the the faithful and even the priests were confused by the by the message that was being sent out by the new mass because they were viewing, but part of them were saying, "Oh, this is a supper, not necessarily a sacrifice." Oh, we need to get rid of transubstantiation, call it transfinalization, and they were trying to change all these things.
0: <laughs> yeah. What? I've yeah, never heard yeah. Of that.
1: Uh, uh I can't think of the cardinal's name, but but yeah, one of them was uh, pushing that, and he wasn't the only one. But that that's why Paul uh, Pope Paul VI had to come out and reaffirm that no, the the even with the new order of mass, the the mass is still a sacrifice. It's not you know a communal meal in in the sense that. That, that it's being pushed, that no, transubstantiation. And he actually, I believe, if if I'm remembering right, quoted from the Council of Trent to defend these teachings, which is... Right. But... Um,
0: well, yeah, I was never... I don't think Paul VI believed that Vatican II separates the Catholic Church, that nothing that came before Vatican II counts anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, that's obviously what uh what that's not anything paul the sixth believed
1: well and going back to our question when was the last gospel added to the mass the only thing i could see and and again take this with a grain of salt uh and i and i say this because people have this idea that the traditional latin mass only goes back to uh pope pius v um but -hmm. it says it was added in the 16th century um because he uh because of how treasured it is to the faithful, is why Pope Pius the Fifth. So, it may go it, it may go further back, but that's just a quick internet search. But uh, like I said, the reason I say with a grain of salt because if you talk to some people about their traditional Latin Mass, they'll say, "Oh, it only goes back to the Council of Trent," which is not true. But well, that's
0: something I had always believed. You know, when I was growing up, because it was called the Tridentine Mass. And I think the marketing behind that was getting people to believe that the Council of Trent wrote this mass just like Vatican II wrote this mass. And so the church just writing a new mass all the time is just like a normal thing that happens. I, I guess I'd grown up. Nobody really ever told me that, but I guess I just sort of believed that for some reason. And then when I was maybe in my 20s, um, I, was, I was discerning a vocation to the priesthood. Um, which was ended up not being my vocation, thank God, because I would have wrecked the Catholic Church um, more than it already is. But uh, anyway, nonetheless, while I was there discerning my vocation in a religious house of formation, I started studying the history of the liturgy. And that's when I come to find out that that wasn't true at all. And that's sort of where I became a traditionalist, although... That's where I started flirting with this idea about the Latin Mass and and not not in an exclusive sense like we all need, we all need to go back to only the Latin Mass and nothing else. But I was sort of on this kick of we need to like we need to rethink the wisdom of just ditching this um, like we did. It did not go over well with my superiors in the religious order at all, uh, and it ended up. Um, with me of course leaving leaving the the seminary um and then sort of uh you know going back to the latin mass that way uh you're a convert though from protestantism so how did you find i'm interested in finding out how you found i mean i've i've heard sort of bits and pieces of the story but i'm interested in how you came to be a latin mass guy from from the baptist church no no
1: churches of christ um Church of Christ. I will try to make the story quick, so if I, if I ramble on like I tend to do, just cut me off. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hit you with that
0: that Academy Award. Uh, I gotta find an Academy Award soundboard where I just start the music yeah. starts playing, so you know it's time to get off stage. <laughs> no, I won't do that. But Not uh, yet. let's let but, but but while we're on it, let's let's go back. Let's go way back.
1: Back into to back the past. to the '80s. <laughs> Back to the 80s. So I, I, I grew <laughs> okay. up in a, in a group called the Churches of Christ. Um, I know there's different groups that call themselves Churches of Christ. Mine was specifically from the, came out of the restoration movement in the United States with, you know, you had like your Barton Stone, Alexander Campbell, um, who at the time uh, had had good intentions, just went about it the wrong way. So they, I believe they were, if I'm remembering right, they were Presbyterian. They might have even been Methodists before that, but they saw all the division in the U.S. among churches, and they said there has to be something that can unify us. Of course, they didn't see that in the Catholic Church, but they said uh, we're going to go to the Bible and the Bible alone. Which you know, a, a lot of a lot of Protestant groups claim that. Um, right. So they start. That goes all the way back to Luther. I know. Solemn. Yeah, it may even right? go back further than that, depending on who you talk to, gotcha. but. Interesting. Um, okay, but yeah, it was really, really pushed with the invention of the the printing press. But um, so, in, in the churches of Christ, they—I I grew up in the in the more conservative, more conservative group. And and if if we have any Church of Christ people or any of my family or friends happen to listen to this that are still in the Church of Christ, uh, if it sounds like it, my intention is not to sound like I'm, I'm bashing them because I'm actually quite grateful in many ways for it because the Church of Christ are some of the, the, the most well-known, or, or uh, out of all the Protestant groups, they know their Bible really, really well. Um, hmm. So, so I, I had a lot of, you know, we would go to church twice on Sunday, once on Wednesday, and then you know what they called gospel meeting So I grew up in a very active household. But uh, the, the group I was a part of, they didn't believe in using instrumental music, um, no kitchens in, in, in the church house. Um, just uh, their kind of model was speak where the Bible speaks and silent where the Bible is silent. So if they couldn't find either by example, necessary inference, or direct command, they, they said, well, we can't do these things. So anyway, um, so I, I grew up with them uh, in, in that group. Um they are in, in many ways. I, I was listening to a round table discussion on uh what's a, what's that show where it talk, it talks to converts. Um I think Marcus Gro, Grodell Grodel, whatever his name is, talks to Oh
0: uh, was it you're talking about Benedict Rochelle? No,
1: no, Marcus, his name is Marcus uh Commune The Journey Home. So, the journey so, home. So The Journey I believe okay, that's an okay. It's on EWTN, Yeah, yeah the right. work of the devil. Okay, gotcha. Um,
0: <laughs> Dude, you caught me off guard with that one. So okay.
1: he was talking to a group of um, one of them actually become a Catholic priest, but there was two or three other former Church of Christ priests, and and they both all made the claim that. Um, Sometimes it's harder for Church of Christ people to convert to Catholicism because in many ways on fundamental beliefs, they are actually in line with what the Catholic Church teaches. They believe baptism is necessary for the remission of sins. They take uh, communion once a week. Granted, it's, it's symbolically. Um, but, they, but they believe they have to take it You know, every week. It's not just a, you do it whenever as, a, as an add-on to your faith. Um, they do not believe in faith alone. They believe it's a faith plus works, you know, like the Catholic church, um, teaches, but, um, but then again, they also don't believe in this necessarily in the communion of saints and stuff like that. But, um, so that's kind of the environment I grew up in. Well, one of the verses that I always struggled with growing up was the bread of life discourse when Jesus said, this is my body. So before we would give communion, uh, each week, somebody would always give like a brief, maybe one two minute talk about what we were about to do, and and, and, the, and right. the the symbolism and and everything behind it. And but they would always be sure to say that this was an emblem of of the body of Jesus, or this was a symbol, or or however they wanted to the word. They always made that differentiation. And I remember always thinking, but that's not what Jesus said. So. I was kind of, I was kind of uh, torn on what to do. So the times that I was actually up there um, participating in communion, uh, or you know, uh, helping distribute it to everybody, I always said, you know what, I'm going to take the safe route. I'm just going to say what Jesus says. Can't go wrong with that. And if anybody ever says anything to me about it, I'll just be like, I'm just quoting Jesus. Right. So uh, as I as I got older, I started thinking about it more. But I would, and then looking at the historical aspect you have to be a historical to be in that group and many other groups you have to ignore history because they their belief is they are the same church the same group of christians that was founded on in 30 in ad 33 right on the day of pentecost okay but in order to believe that jump there's a lot of history there where okay well where were these christians oh well they were they were hiding and i was kind of like okay i i get that they were being persecuted for the you know at least the first three four hundred years right but why are we reading about christians dying where, where where is this group of christians that are being slaughtered because i i don't read about them right now granted we're not reading about all of them but you figure you would hear some prominent figures in that group well well sure. you, you you don't so I would always have to push all that stuff on the back burner, too. And, and as I got older, I was like, you know, what? I need to confront this to be honest with myself. So three things converted me. Uh, the real presence in the Eucharist, um, uh, the, the history of the church, and uh, authority. Okay, we got this Bible that, that we follow, that we based our whole entire eternity on. How did we get it? Well, God gave it to us. Okay, I I, I agree. How did he had to give it to us? Uh, through, you know, the um, through guidance of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I agree. How do he do that? Well, you know, it can't, can't. no, it's through a council. Okay, well, the okay. And if you'd get somebody to agree with you, okay, well, uh, council of the Catholic Church gave it to us. God was just using them. Okay, well, if God is using them for this, then how do I deny Humane Vitae or Cassie Canubi? Because, you know, the the Catholics say
0: once you accept once you accept the thought, yeah. so,
1: so you you accept everything that goes good, along with that granted yeah. those two documents were not from ecumenical council but how do I deny the Theotokos as it's defined in the Council of Ephesus you know so you, you hmm. I was like I can't really pick and choose so I, I really started like and I'm not a reader but ever since I became Catholic man especially in the beginning I was just that's all I wanted to do was read, read, read books on on history you're
0: one of the most voracious readers i've ever met what are you talking about
1: yeah (laughs) i
0: recommend a book to this guy i'll be like hey jason have you ever read this book and like two days later i'll get a text back dude i just sat down and read the whole (laughs) thing can you believe what he says on page 36 i'm like okay jason i actually haven't read it yet i was just asking if you've read it
1: (laughs) no and and, and honestly i'm not as is read as much as i probably should but but it's it's a hundred times from what it used to be so anyway I um I started reading so I was like okay well I'm gonna, I'm going to go step in and talk to to the RCI director at the Catholic church by my house you know I'm just going to see what they're about and she goes well we got these classes every Wednesday they talk about different subjects and all that and I started going in and at the very first topic they were talking about was Marian dogmas which for a convert those ain't not necessarily always that's probably not the best one to always get into right because it's one of the most fought against for converts and i remember right. thinking okay they talked about mary being the mother of god right and people some some of the other people you know kind of asking questions having issues with it and i remember thinking i don't get how this is an issue because if jesus is god and he's his mother so there was something else i was like well there's something else Catholic church i don't have issue with so I, I went through the process. I, I eventually be uh became converted, but even through that process there there was times where I was like where they would uh where they would start really pushing at times about it doesn't really matter what you are if you believe in Christ and you and I remember thinking, okay if that's true, why am I even bothered? I lost friends. I have family disappointed in me. And I, why am I even doing this if it doesn't matter? And I remember I raised my hand. I was like, I, I disagree with that. I said, if it doesn't matter, why are we here? So we can get, you know, you guys are totally a fair question.
0: I've asked myself, that's to, that's totally that's totally a fair question.
1: Well, well <clears throat> and, and it's like, well, the Catholic Church has the fullness of faith. They still have some faith. And it's like, well, does their faith save them? And why would I uproot my life for just a little bit more truth if it didn't didn't matter to Hill of Beans at the end, you know? Um, right. And then I remember I was in a meeting one time. Uh, it was like a class. Uh, uh, the pericule vicar was giving a talk on um, something about Mary. I don't remember what, at one of the pro-life groups. And I, I just went because I wanted to hear, hear what he had to say. And I remember they were saying uh, – Father, why can't we put up crosses out here like some churches do for pro life month? And he's like, I'm not gonna give away any names or anything, but oh father won't let let me and he'd have my head if I did that. And and somebody goes, Why? Man, he'd get too he'd get so many phone calls even from parishioners. And I was sitting here thinking, Well, that's kinda cowardly. I mean, you're a priest. That's yeah. I mean, you need to be standing <clears throat> in the breach. And then and then somebody asked him, Well, why don't we ever talk about contraception? And he goes, if I preach from contraception from the pulpit, man, I, I I would be shut down. And I'm sitting there going, again, and this is all the same discussion. Golly, and and really? I'm sitting here going, that's what we're supposed to do. You know, as lay people, but especially priests, you're you're our leaders. If if we see poor leadership from you, that's gonna translate to us many times, right? So I say all that to get to the point is I, I was listening to a, a podcaster one time and he was talking about the traditional Latin mass. I was like, what's that? What's that all about? Because all I'd heard in RCIA was one time, and it was specifically said, the only difference is, is the Vatican II Council just got rid of some of the the little things that, the, that they were doing that were really unnecessary and repetitive and confusing. Yes.
0: The useless repetitions. Yeah. And I was like,
1: okay, you know, at the time at the time I was in the very beginning of my transition. I was like, okay. D- Did not look into it until later. So then I go I finally make it to the traditional Latin mass and I see it. And I'm like, Okay, this and then and then I heard father give a I don't even remember what the homily was, but I remember thinking he just spoke the truth without reservation and I was like this is this is what this is the catholic church i had been studying you know for, from a historical hand standpoint from a theological standpoint and all that i said this is this is the church that the, that i was studying and as a disclaimer i'm not a set of a contest i don't think that the novus ordo mass is invalid or anything like that
0: isn't it sad <laughs> that we have to like do all those warnings yeah. and things like that to- so so that a bunch of people who who themselves don't act like they think the Catholic Church is the true church yeah. won't think bad things about us. Give me a break.
1: But anyway, so yeah. just to tie it up here, real quick. I know I kind of went on for a while, but so I no, it's a so good story. So I uh, and I remember around that time that was in, when some of those surveys were coming out about how the majority of Catholics use contraception, how the majority of Catholics don't believe in the real presence, and I remember thinking that's as far as the Eucharist goes, I'm sitting here thinking that's because how it's treated. It's treated like common food, people walking up in T-shirts, just Mm. handed out like candy. And I remember thinking, okay, for my kids, I want them to believe this truth and I want them to believe it with their whole heart. And when I went to the Latin Mass, only the priest touched it. The faithful took it from the knee on their tongues and you were separated by the altar rails and whether people want to acknowledge it or they don't realize it, that sends a subliminal message to you and definitely to your kids. This is something different. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just started going, I said, you know, this, this is the environment I want to raise my kids in because I want them to be the Catholics that believe in the real presence. to, um, you know, believe that contraception is a grave because we see lots of big families. Um but and again, it, it it's not saying anything against uh people that go to Nova Ordo that they're less faithful, less Catholic. I don't I don't believe that. I mean I I believe that you have your Catholics that are faithful to all these teachings of the church. I know some personally, but the vast majority according to surveys don't and as a parent, I'm I'm thinking, okay, it's my responsibility to make sure my kids believe this. What's the best avenue that I can have them? Be- because I can believe that stuff myself and still go to a Novus Ordo parish because I know I'm an adult. I've made the decision that these are the truths. But to a young, forming mind, it's like, how can I best present these truths to them? And to me, it was in the traditional Latin mass.
0: You know, I... I, I... <clears throat> I was uh, I don't remember where I was the very first time I noticed. I was well into the Latin mass movement had been going for a while when I first noticed that after the priest consecrates, after he elevates the 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 host at the consecration, he touches his um, his index finger to his thumb and kind of like making that okay symbol yeah, you know yeah. that that with your hands or whatever. For the rest of the mass. And when he like, even when he when he picks up the the chalice, he grabs the chalice with the three bottom fingers of his right hand, and picks it up with the three bottom fingers of his left hand. He doesn't touch anything to the two fingers that he used to touch the Eucharist, because those have just and and he'll keep his hands like that unless he's picking up a host to give communion or picking up the host for the Agnus Dei but for the rest of the mass until he washes his hands at the end of communion, he'll keep his fingers in that position. And I thought, wow, powerful, that's such a it? little detail. <laughs> that is such a little detail that, and, and it's not like, well, that's just something father van fleet does. Cause he's specially reverent. It's in the rubrics to do that. Every, every priest you will see that, that celebrates, According to the rubrics of the 1962 Missal, will do perform this gesture. So it's in the rubrics, and I thought, what a little detail to make it into the rubrics! How how special and how profound did the did the liturgists of the Church believe that the Eucharist was to put that in there like that? It's at, like I don't remember where I was when I first noticed it, but I was really blown away, and I've never I can't unsee it now. Every time every Mass I go to, I look at that and I think, wow, that's
1: you know, me, That's me and my incredible. wife were talking about that recently because I, I remember when I first saw it and then I paid attention to it. I was actually watching a FSSP training video um, and, and, really? and they talked okay. about it. And I remember looking at the next mass. I was like, he does do that. So I told my wife about it and uh, and we started shuddering to think because we remember at our old parish, whenever one of the... Uh, the bowls was, I don't know if that's a proper term, but bowls that was holding the communion. Um,
0: yeah. The, ch- the chiboram is
1: what it's called. Was, with, yeah. was empty. The priest would grab it like a handful and put in there. And, and it's like, Oh, and even then I was like, Oh man. Um, but what, what I was, uh, so talking about where he keeps his fingers together. She asked me when the, she goes, we're driving home. She goes, what is the, because, the, you know, we'll have a second priest come out of, because he'll be in a confessional. He'll come out around the Our Father and help Father dis, uh, distribute communion to the faithful. She goes, what does he do with his hands? And I was like, I don't know. So the next Sunday we watched him, and there's a little uh, thing of water up there that he even cleans his fingers on, even though he, so it's not just a, this this is what the the presider over the mass is it, you know, does out of the rubrics or does just because it's part mm-hmm. of the... Dri- Both priests do it even though the other one is coming to assist. You know, he even... I've even noticed that Father Van Fleet and Father Rock and, and all that, you know, they, they clean their fingers too. And it, it's a very powerful wow. um, gesture. Yeah, watch, watch tomorrow when you see it. There's a little... Up oh, wow. by the tabernacle, there's a little little thing of water that, that they clean their fingers on. Um,
0: and... I know that this is one of those things where uh, the Pope, this is where the Pope would think we were being rigid. Like, like, come on, like, who cares? You guys, you know, the fact that you care about where somebody's fingers are, where the priest's fingers, what he does with his fingers in the mass, you are so rigid. Why are you guys so rigid? Well, quite frankly, Holy Father, it's because we believe that this stuff is sacred. And let me tell you something. Uh, the Jewish people I was talking about earlier, who keep their 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 Passover uh, Judaica in a special cabinet in a special place, if you walk into their home and you grab the cups that are used for Passover and you pour yourself a beer and you just start sitting there having a beer and while you're talking to them, um, they're going to get kind of rigid too. Okay, and if uh, if you uh, walk out into the the, the the Masjid al-Haram in Mecca and uh, you're not a Muslim and and you walk in there just eating a hot dog with a T-shirt on that says, I went to the holiest site in Islam and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. They're going to get kind of rigid too. It's religion. This is our religion, Holy Father. I I know for you that this is your career, okay? But for some of us, this is our religion. This is the thing that's sacred to us. Try and wrap your head around that for five seconds and just – at least be a little sensitive to the fact that this is our religion, okay? I, I don't think we're being out of pocket by taking it serious. This is
1: what our life revolves around, from our yes. family, you know, our, our family activities, how we raise our family, how we treat our spouse, even, even liturgical activity or even family activities are, are, you know, made around the liturgical season. Um, everything we do is because of our faith.
0: And the and the mass of and our religion states that the mass is the source and summit of Christian life. So, you know, in one sense, you know, the Second Vatican Council tells us that we should we should be interested in that little finger thing the priest is doing. Why is he doing that? That's kind of interesting. Why is he doing that? And then we find out why he's doing that. And then we're we think that's profound and we think it's incredible and we think it's amazing. The second Vatican council tells us that that's a good thing that we're doing that, that this is a great thing that the, that lay people should feel like the liturgy is something for them too. And that they should be engaged in it and, 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 and they should study it. They should want to learn about the history of it and all these, that, and the other thing. But also if you do those things, you're, you're rigid. There's
1: one, one place that you had to to be rigid. I think it would be that, that part right there. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm I, yeah, absolutely. I'm rigid about the Eucharist. I don't care if that upsets uh, the the brain trust at, in in Rome. I really don't care. Um, I don't know if you heard about this. Did you hear that the FSSP and uh, and Guadalajara was suspended? Unfortunately, suppressed. Yeah, they suppressed they suppressed the Priestly Fraternity of Saint Peter in their apostolate in Guadalajara, Mexico. Um, I don't know if we have any listeners in Mexico, but uh, if we do, um, I just want to say that I know you're sad. We are sad. Um, but now is a time for great saints. Uh, don't no, Not, not a good time to surrender. Don't surrender. Um, remember the history of the, of the brave Cristeros, which a lot of them come from Guadalajara, right? The, so the, the people of Guadalajara, are descended from really valiant soldiers of Christ. It's in your blood. You you, you are not sheep, you are lions. And um, rest, you can be assured of the prayers of your brothers and sisters up north. The mass is going to survive. And um, I just, you know, and because if you're in Guadalajara and you're listening to this, a todos nuestros oyentes in Guadalajara, in todo Mexico, uh, sé que estás triste, estamos triste, um, pero ahora es el momento para los grandes santos. No te rindas, no te rindas. Recuerda la historia de los bravos cristeros. La gente de Guadalajara es descendiente de valientes soldados de Cristo. Está en tu sangre. Tú no eres viejas, tú eres son leones. Tenga la seguridad de las oraciones de sus hermanos y hermanas del norte. La misa sobre sobrevivir para siempre, a la, a, la, a la gracia de Dios. Um, que la paz del Señor esté contigo por los siglos de los siglos. Viva Cristo Rey, viva Cristo Rey. Um, so anybody in Mexico listening, you are with us. Uh, we are in your prayer, you are in our prayers, and um, the Mass is going to survive. We're going to win this fight. Long live Christ the King, long
1: live Christ the and King. An Irishman speaking Spanish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's right man hey hey i'm hey i'm from south texas baby you know oh, we do
1: yeah if you're from south uh, texas yeah you definitely bilingual <laughs> i
0: i i uh well it's funny because i so i learned a lot of spanish when i was in uh in my formation house when i was discerning a vocation and i had a lot i had a lot easier time learning than some of the guys who were from places like um uh, uh, New Zealand, who had never heard a native Spanish speaker, they just had never heard native. They they'd never heard a native speaker in their lives, so they had a lot of they had a, of, a much harder time with it. And of course, me, I'd I'd grown up with native speakers. I mean, I, I live in a part of the world that, up until 150 years ago, was Mexico. <laughs> let
1: me, let me um, tell you a funny story so, here. Um, it okay. might be more funny to me, but I was in Australia for one of <laughs> for one of my jobs, right? And we were at a uh, restaurant bar, and I was with a coworker. And he was talking to the bartender, and she, uh, he said, uh, he, I guess he asked for some tequila or something. I can't remember exactly what started the conversation. But she goes, oh, I can't drink tequila. And and he's like, why? She goes, oh, I didn't have – I had a very bad time the one time I had it. And he goes, well, what tequila did you have? She goes, um – she turned around and goes, oh, Josie Cuero. And we oh, just started no. laughing. Like oh, no. I couldn't even help it. And she goes, what? And we're like, Jose Cuervo. And she goes, whatever, <laughs> but she, but whatever. It, what you going to, what you're saying in, in her defense, it's not like she's around a lot of Spanish speakers anyway.
0: Well, for those of you uh, who think uh, Jose, Jose Cuervo is not sipping tequila. Okay. Spend the money <laughs> and get yourself some good. I mean, Jose Cuervo actually makes an, uh, I think Jose Cuervo 1800 gold is an Añejo tequila. That's. You could, that's, that's not bad. Are
1: you going to tell them to get the rocks tequila?
0: (laughs) No, I was going to tell them to like, like pay, pay some. I mean, not don't break the bank, but every once in a while, you really ought to shell out maybe 20 or 30 bucks for a shot of something really nice and sip it because it's tequila. can actually be a very lovely sipping beverage. If you get out of the plastic bottle section and, uh, and, you know, spend a little money. It's just like anything else, right? There's, there's, there's McCormick whiskey, and then there's Pappy Van Winkle. I don't think you need to pay for Pappy Van Winkle, but um, I do think you. I think I think you ought to not drink your bourbon out of a plastic jug. That's what I. <laughs> well, think. I I, I <laughs> joke. Life's too short. I
1: joke about the rocks tequila. I've actually tried it. That Terra Terra Mana or whatever it's called. It's actually not mm-hmm. bad. I mean, it's not like a Don Julio or anything like that, but it's. It, 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 it definitely doesn't have a cheaper taste to it.
0: And, you know, like anything else, you drink too much of it, you're going to get sick. Oh, that's, yeah. that's nature's way of letting you know you've had enough probably uh, a couple of shots ago. But, um, yeah, no, if you're ever in the mood for a, an adult beverage and you happen to be out at a, uh, a, a nice bar a nice Mexican restaurant and they have a good tequila menu, And you're like, yeah, but who would ever pay twenty or thirty bucks for a shot of tequila? I'm not saying you get that shot and you (laughs) slam it down like a shot. That's where that's where I think you're. Yeah, that would be a waste of money. But you know, if you ever if you're ever in a position where you can splurge a little bit, spend that money and just. And just sip on it, I think you will be pleasantly surprised if you're if you've considered yourself historically not a tequila person.
1: I mean if you're talking to a good bartender or a good person at a liquor store, they'll let you know, well this tequila is what you want to mix with like a margarita. This tequila, you don't want to mix with anything.
0: Right. Yeah, and that's that I've always helped. I've always maintained that for margaritas, I don't pay for top shelf margaritas. that's That's a waste of that's a waste of money. Get you get you some get you some plastic jug tequila for margaritas. And, uh, and, and good tequila for sipping. I don't know how I got off on this. Oh, yeah, because we were talking about Guadalajara. Well, just, That's right. I was like, how did we start talking about tequila? I don't know that I,
1: I, don't know that I have too much to add to it. Um, but I, I think I sent you the message. And I said, you know, one of the aggravating things to me about the suppression of the FSSP in Guadalajara is the Mexican people as a whole are good people. And they have suffered for a long time from bad secular leadership in their country. And they've suffered because of mm-hmm. that. And the one place they should be able to go for good leadership, for, uh, you know, just j- just yeah, somewhere one, to the look. The one
0: place you don't expect them to close yeah, their church
1: just, is the Catholic just, church. Just someplace mm-hmm. they should be able to go for, um, yeah, uh, I can't think of the word I'm thinking for right now, but um,
0: to not be persecuted, yeah,
1: to not be persecuted. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, now they're suffering from bad religious leadership, and they're getting it on both fronts um, right now. So well, I, what I think is what I think is terrible. I mean, I would
0: I would and I would communicate this to the to the bishop of Guadalajara, who of course is not listening and doesn't care. But I would say congratulations, Your Eminence you now officially are more persecutorial to the Catholic Church than the government of Mexico. Congratulations. I don't think that's a laurel you want to wear. But, you know. No. uh, uh, You better have a damn good explanation for this when you die. That's all I can tell you. Because God is real. And Jesus Christ is real. And this whole, I'm a cardinal, I don't owe anybody any explanations, BS, that'll work with just about everybody except him you're gonna owe him an explanation and this whole you can pull out all the red hats you can in the world it ain't gonna impress him i guarantee you and i'm gonna tell you something you better have a damn you better have a damn good explanation other than we'll try to on said so because i'm gonna tell you what
1: i wouldn't make uh, my salvation on it, that, <laughs> I, that ain't,
0: I, let me tell you what let me tell you what I'm glad I'm I'm glad you're going to have that conversation rather than me because I tell you what I wouldn't go I wouldn't go to my death with that on my soul, uh, you know. I, I, when I was talking earlier to to anybody in Guadalajara listening, and I was talking about the Cristeros. For any listeners who don't know anything about the Cristero War, you should look that up. Uh, in In Mexico, it's called La Cristiada, but basically, in the 1920s, the government of Mexico came down hard uh on its persecution of the catholic church um and and the people fought back and and they let they let the government of mexico know especially in um in the region of guadalajara that uh just so you know this place is is now under the control of soldiers of jesus christ so you come messing around up in here and we got something for you um now i'm not saying it needs to go to that extent I'm not saying that we, you know, we we're going to embrace violence or anything like that. I'm just going I'm just going to say that um Mexicans will take just about any kind of abuse that they're that that the system will throw at them. But you start messing with the Catholic Church on them, you start messing with their Catholic Church and uh you're going to have you going to have something on your hands. So uh my advice would be to let those people go to Mass and let those people pray because otherwise, um, you know, whatever happens is going to be your problem to deal with, your eminence. And I, I, I sincerely hope you have a better answer other than his Custodes. But,
1: well, who was the
0: but, – But you don't, so who cares? Well,
1: and, and out of the Mexican Cristeros, you had uh, – uh, I, I couldn't remember his name, but I had to look it up. Jose Sanchez del Rio. Who was uh, who died at fourteen yes, years for old? Um, for a stone cold soldier, for not boy. renouncing his what, Catholic heck? faith. So, so right. th- This is you know this is the type of people that are down in Mexico that can withstand the best. They can throw Sanchez at them. de
0: Rio, by the way, is uh, is a saint mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church, Saint Jose Sanchez de Rio. Rega por nosotros, pray for us. Uh, let me tell you what, man. The kid was fourteen years old and. Um, and he joined the cristeros okay uh there were 14 saints that were knights of columbus uh that that were uh m- that were martyred in the cristero movement my confirmation saint blessed miguel augustine pro was a mexican priest uh in mexico city who was martyred during the cristero war um, his story is actually really great he was um he was arrested held overnight and uh the, the president a, a, a very evil man uh, named Plutarco Cayes, thought that miguel pro was going to be a coward in front of the firing squad so he made sure to have uh photographers there so his whole execution is is documented in photographs so there you they're on the web you can look them up and and it
1: and, and it just shows you the pathetic nature of these atheistic and anti-catholic and christian governments that that they and, wanted to torture a young boy because of his faith in Christ, and to be honest, his faith in Christ is as, as at that young of an age is was stronger than, than us as grown men. Um,
0: well, they they he's had because because he's had to struggle for it. You know yeah. that's the thing. Without struggle, there's yeah. no progress, and we've talked about that on this podcast a lot. That you know, and um, but but anyway, here's here's the exciting thing about what happened with Miguel Pro is. Um, He didn't cower in front of the firing squad. He faced the firing squad with a crucifix in one hand, his rosary in the other. He put his arms out in the form of a cross, and he said, May God have mercy on your souls for what you're about to do, but I forgive you. Mm. And at that moment, they said, Ready, aim. And his last words, he shouted out, Long live Christ the King. Viva Cristo Rey!" And they executed him. Yeah, it was... And they and the photo and his his funeral. There were twenty thousand people showed up for his funeral, and it was the beginning of the end for Plutaco Cayes. Um, so, it just goes to show, man don't don't mess with these people. Okay, these people are. And I when I when I told them they're not sheep, they're lions. These 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 Okay. Uh, and, and and that is correct. So you you try to push these people around because uh, they're just they're just chattel. They don't matter. I'm the I'm the cardinal. I can do whatever I want, and these people are nothing. Okay, you better hope so, because let me tell you something. Um, I know Guadalajars. These are proud. I mean, not proud in a in a in a sinful sense, but these are very dignified people. They're not going to just take this like this. Um, So my prayer is that the Cardinal Archbishop of Mexico, the Cardinal Archbishop of uh, Guadalajara comes to his senses and converts back to the religion of Christ before it's too late because uh, for him, if you,
1: if you would allow me, let me, because I I was just reading the, (laughs) (laughs) it's just, I mean, I mean, it, it almost brings you to tears to be quite honest. But but it talks about you know his last words and and you you said some of those from from uh, Saint Jose Luis Sanchez de Rio, it,
0: oh no I was talking about or, Miguel or, Pro yeah
1: so, okay yeah I, th- I thought you said Miguel Pro but anyway well these are the last words which are similar or at least at the end to uh, to this young boy well I should say this this young saint. Um So they said that they consequently cut the bottom of his feet and obliged him to walk around the town toward the cemetery. They also at times cut him with a machete until he was bleeding from several wounds. He cried and moaned with pain, but he did not give in. At times they stopped him and said, If you shout, Death to Christ the King, we will spare your life. Jose would only shout, I will never give in. Viva Cristo Rey.
0: That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about.
1: So I mean, that, that, that's, that's I what mean I'm talking about. That's a
0: stone. That's 14 years old, man. That's a stone cold soldier, that's, y'all.
1: That, that's I mean, it's just incredible. These you know these young kids. I mean, you, you had him, Saint Maria Goretti. I mean, just the just the power in these in these young saints is, is incredible.
0: Well, that's when you're when you're young, when. When you're young, the world hadn't beat every, every, everything out of you yet. You still have, you know. By the time you're, by the time you're, me and Jason's age, the you know, well,
1: <laughs> you're so jaded. It brings it, it brings up <laughs> another good point that Christ said: unless you become like children, you cannot come to me. Um, that's so, true. That's so right. The, 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 so anyway. Mm-hmm. Because the youth are full of passion. That's where
0: all your passion is in youth. Because youth is all potential, right? It's, it's pure potentiality. And so when, you, when you're when you young, you have all this passion about whatever it is you're passionate about. You know, that's why, you know, these young kids who are into socialism. Well, in a sense, I, I kind of expect young people to be into socialism. I don't expect old people to be into socialism. But I expect it from young people because when you're young you know, you don't know a lot yet and you're you really you have all this passion and you want to set the world right and you want to you know, right all the wrongs of the world. and th- that's somewhat commendable. Um, it needs to be pointed in the right direction, obviously. And it sounds like for this young man, it was. Um, and uh, so that's a, that's a sense in which all that power and that passion and that energy, can't, when, when pointed in the right direction and when utilized for the greater glory of God, can be a powerful witness and can and can topple an empire. I mean, that was the end for Plutarcho Calles, was, was, was this Cristero War. Um, he, he was never, uh, in fact, he, he lost his presidency over it. And Mexico remained an anti-clerical state for 80 years after that. Um, it was illegal to wear clerical garb in public. Oh, I Priests that, would have yeah. to walk around in suits and ties. Yeah. In fact, uh, John Paul II got a ticket on his first visit to Mexico for wearing his papal cassock out in public. The government was embarrassed and made the ticket go away. Obviously, but they—they they, yeah, some some policemen issued him a ticket. You believe that well, crap? I'm, I'm um, looking at I'm looking anyway. at
1: uh, Blessed Miguel Pro, and, and that, okay, now I'm remembering. Uh, his story now. I, I know you talked about it, but yeah, I mean these pitch. Yeah, I, some of these.
0: He has a shrine here in Houston, Texas. For those of you who don't know, at uh, at St. Francis of Assisi Religious Goods on Highway Six in oh, Bear Creek. I didn't know
1: he was there. It's, it's, <laughs> had relics. In.
0: He's he's a it's a little Catholic store and out in Bear Creek, Houston, Texas. If you go into the Catholic store, uh, in the back against the wall, there is a shrine. And it's a it's a nationally recognized it's his it's his North American shrine. I've been there uh, before and in, I've never in noticed the United that. States. Okay, I'll
1: have, next time I go there, but no, no. I mean, some of these. What I was saying is some of these pictures here. Yeah, I remember seeing a lot of these these pictures in there. Jeez, he um, says he was also a Jesuit.
0: He was yeah. a Jesuit. Yeah, that's true. And he's he's not he's not been uh, canonized. He's been Yeah, yeah he's, a, so he's he's a blessed. He's blessed but
1: you know, uh, yeah, he said he was a, a Jesuit priest. I didn't. Yeah, see, I, I've seen the pictures and I've heard briefly about him, but I didn't know this much about him, I guess. But yeah, a lot of these pictures I've seen before.
0: He was a, he was a master of disguise. He had this. Uh, so he, he was he abated a lot of authorities by being able to dress up in a lot of different disguises and things like that. And uh, he had uh, a, a quite a, a witty sense of humor and um of really sharp intellect you know he's a jesuit so he's very well educated very the the Jesuits historically have been very
1: intellectual in a good way um
0: yeah yeah absolutely well you know i think i think uh yeah well and there's you know that's the problem with with education there's there is such a thing as being overly educated and you know you meet these people who have 20 PhDs and 30 master's degrees and they spent their entire lives in academia and they're all crazy.
1: Did you, <laughs> I haven't met. did you say this earlier, but I, I didn't know this about Miguel pro uh blessed Miguel pro. It says the firing squad shots didn't kill him. He had to have a coup de grace.
0: Yeah, he did have a, he they, they, they had a coup de grace. They want, uh, and there's a, and there's a, a coup photograph. De gras, of not coup de cross. A photo- yeah. Coup de grace.
1: Sorry. <laughs> I
0: don't, I don't know how it's pronounced. So like well, I didn't think you know, on trad but... on, on Tradmen we make it up. I know what about. it means. Fact, I just know how to
1: say it, baby. You know.
0: <laughs> uh, in in fact, everything I said earlier in Spanish, all made up. Not even real words. No, um, you're that um, good. It sounded good, so that's what's important. Um, no, I, I I have I have a tremendous amount of respect for the Catholic Church in Mexico, and uh, Mexican Catholics who have maintained the the faith that was brought to this continent by um, by Spain. And you know the, I, I believe it was Pope Pius V, but it might be a different Pope or or a saint of that day, but I really do believe it was Pope Pius V who said, um, the head of the Catholic Church is in Rome, but her heart and soul lies in Spain. There's something about the way that Spaniards practice our religion. Or uh, express our religion both in art and literature and, and and poetry, that is so moving. It is it is so uniquely Spanish, and it is so romantic. It's just a romantic and and emotionally moving expression of Roman Catholicism, and it's 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 preserved in so many ways in Latin America, but in particular in Mexico because of all the persecutions. And, and uh, my heart really goes out to the people of Guadalajara. And tonight, it's these people's
1: so. ancestors who are Lady of Guadalupe appear to.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Our Lady Well, that's and see, and that's that's the funny thing about about Callez. He closed all the churches and he shot all the priests and he executed all the nuns, but he didn't dare go into the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And you thought you'd have thought he'd have now, he he, he he closed it up. He locked it up. But you'd have thought he'd have went in there and taken that thing off the wall and, and burned it or something. He didn't dare. He knew what the consequences of that were. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. You, you push these people, but then you're going to push them too far one day. And, uh, you know, you're going to look for, for – uh, mercy for me and i ain't gonna have nothing to give to you i'm not that good of a christian i'm trying i'm trying you know he god's not through with me yet well
1: i mean i mean Uh, what so what what did our lady convert down in that part of the world nine million more than more than what the protestant reformation took away god is good
0: yeah well the while the reformation was ravaging europe nine million catholics we're converting and if, in in Latin and America. I thought, have Probably. you read
1: the book The Wonder of Guadalupe? I have Fantastic not. Fantastic book about this story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I'm gonna... But just think about the conversion of the Aztecs. If you're an Aztec, about how hard, how big of a jump that is going to be to convert to Catholicism from your from your paganism in in the Aztec religions. I mean it's not yeah. like like me I went from one sect of Christianity to the Catholic Church who who shared many of the fundamental beliefs right I mean these people had right. vastly different beliefs and it wasn't just like one or two converted I mean 9 million people converted because of our lady
0: Yeah it's a it's a, it's a very similar story to what happened in Ireland um the 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 Irish religion pre-Christian Irish religion was very similar to what they were doing in Mexico in sense of it was uh, very you know had had a pantheon of different gods that were worshipped. Um, Ireland was a very tribal um, system, so it wasn't it wasn't like the Aztec Empire, even though the Aztec Empire was kind of in decline by the time it was more or less almost totally finished by the time the Spaniards show up. But there there were a lot of different tribes that lived around the Aztecs uh, and so they had their own gods and their own things like that and um, the entire country converts so so it is a similar story to what happens in Ireland and um, of course uh, Jason and I uh, are are, our ancestors both hail from that uh, from that particular island so uh, I think a lot about Ireland and what's going on there and what has happened there and yeah, it's a, it's a really similar story. So it just, it just shows that this is not something unique to Mexico or this is not something that was unique to the Aztecs or anything like that. Uh, Christ has this power. It, it, he, you know, it, within, his, within his earthly life here on earth, he had thousands of people following him around, just wanting to listen to a word he said. Um, you know, there's something attractive about the truth and and when people hear it they know it and when they're hearing watered down apologized versions of it they can tell that too
1: well and and a message i feel like we can get from the lady of our uh from the story of our lady of guadalupe and the conversions that we saw there um as catholics we can take away the fact that we're really not that much better than the practices of the Aztecs. For instance, you, you know, people go, oh, well, they were doing child sacrifices. Well, so are we. And, and, and yeah, the and, and, in the and, name you, of abortion, we are, ours are
0: worse because we're not even doing them for religious purposes. Well, we're just doing it for utilitarianism. Well, yeah. Well,
1: what did the Aztecs and uh, other cultures do it for? Uh, you know, they do it for rain or for a good crop season or to, to appease the gods from their anger or, or whatever. Right. I mean, people today are are sacrificing kids for money fame convenience very like you said very utilitarian uh uh reasons and and i feel like the message is okay nine million uh assets converted to catholicism and we need to be out there as catholics with the the, the solid truth of the catholic church that no these things are not okay to do i don't care that that this priest on the internet says oh we can't criticize or we can't preach against you know immoral issues like abortion or this or that because you know what you have sin in your life yes i have sin in my life but but the difference is are you trying to repent and and pray for the graces of uh, of God that God will give you the graces to sin no more, or are you just persistent in that sin, defiant of of the commands of God and the commands of the church? So,
0: I mean, if it's not, I mean, if if we can't preach against it, then how can you call it sin in the first well, place? Yeah, I mean, and I mean, you're you're these pre these people out there, these these Father James Martins of the world, who who you know we don't want to we don't want to say anything about sin. But also, racism is bad. Okay, well, why? Well, I mean, because if, you, if, you, if it's not true that you can't dehumanize people, if it's not true that it is fundamentally immoral to deprive human beings of their individual civil and human rights, then why is slavery and racism immoral? I mean, it's not incredibly apparent to me. I mean, I think it's good that we recognize racism as evil. What concerns me is we're not really sure why. And that's a problem for me, because if we can't believe in the in the abstract moral principle that human life is fundamentally different than any other type of life out there, such that the point that it has inherent dignities about it that cannot licitly be taken away without the due process of law or something like that. But even in those cases, you can only deprive a, a human being of certain liberties or things like that. Like if he's a murderer or something and he has to be put in prison. But even the Catholic Church says putting people to death in those certain, you know, is only, can only be licitly done in very extreme circumstances. Life is a very, it's the most sacred thing that God could give us uh, other than himself, and the and the way in which he gives himself to us is by his death. It's that big of a deal, guys. And so you can't just arbitrarily deprive other human beings of their lives without grave moral consequences. It's just you cannot do it. And I'm sorry that that upsets Father James Martin, but I really don't care. <laughs> the truth is the truth, whether you like it or not. Hey, can
1: we stop? It is the way it is. Can we stop with all the gotcha? Type questions. It's like, oh, well, if women can't get out of abortion, then then men can't run away from fatherhood. Good, I accept the terms. When do we, you know, uh, well, right. you can't, you know, like like James Martin is always going. Lately, it seems like I guess all the time he's really against Catholic schools firing uh people who are in openly homosexual relationships. Well, if we're gonna fire them, we need to fire the the people that are uh, using contraception that are teachers that are you know doing this or that that it goes against Catholic teaching. And I'm sitting here like if they're doing it in a public manner, I'm all for it. Go for it. But but there people seem to be ignorant intentionally or unintentionally of the fact that there is a difference in public and private sin in the way that we we approach it. And if your sin is in a public nature, yes, there needs to be public repercussions of it because by not speaking out or not taking action, you are in essence saying, I accept it.
0: Well, yeah. And that, yeah, totally. I mean, like, think about, think about like, um, so, you know, we were talking about politics and how the Catholic church doesn't have political opinions. and, And so like, that's one of the reasons I really hate when the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops comes out for gun control. Like, that's really not your job, A. B, and, and I, by the way, I wouldn't like it if they came out against gun control either. Because gun control is an argument between two sets of people who fundamentally agree that um, things like mass shootings are bad and should not happen. What we disagree on is the right way to reduce that phenomenon or keep it from happening, right? So we have this argument about more guns versus less guns. That's politics, okay? But what would happen if I started an organization that said, actually, I think mass shootings are a good thing, and I think more of them should happen, and I think that we need to be praising the individuals who kind of— That
1: beeping you here is the FBI coming in on this conversation? (laughs)
0: Right. Now, if I were to say something like that and mean it, right, if I were to say something like that and mean it, now I'm not having a political conversation anymore. I have now advocated a position that is fundamentally incongruent with the Catholic Church's moral teaching on the sanctity of human life. And if I advocate for that publicly and prolifically and that that's my position and I want as many people to join my mass shooter organization as possible and everything like that then the catholic church really should condemn me publicly and should should separate itself from me so that I so that there's no confusion about what the church's stance on this are um, this is this is what we're talking about if you know if as a private individual well, I don't say that as a private individual, but if you commit, cert- certain sins are committed out of weakness and, um, you know, or, 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 or all kinds of, you know, reasons, but fundamentally weakness. I know this is wrong, but I really wanted to do it and I screwed up and I did it anyway. Okay, that's, that's different. You go to confession, you try to avoid the near occasions of sin, talk to your spiritual director, do whatever you can. It's a fundamentally different thing than well, I did it, but I don't think it's wrong in the first yeah, place. Yeah, and
1: a deliberate persistence in that sin.
0: Then you can't go to confession because you're not really you don't have contrition. Yep. you're not you're not the the the, 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 the sacrament of confession simply is not available to you because you're not sorry for your sin. That's a, that's a prerequisite for receiving absolution. By the way, it's not just going in there and saying yes, I did it. You have to say you did it and that I'm sorry. That's what I did your prayer's it, and about. that with with the help of God's grace. I, I firmly resolve to sin no more and to avoid the near occasions of sin. Doesn't mean you're never going to sin again, but you have the firm purpose of amendment. You have the resolution. And you got to say with somebody who's, who's openly living a lifestyle contrary to the Catholic Church's moral teaching that they don't believe that it's a sin and they're not sorry for what they're doing. Okay, I mean, listen, if nothing else, then at least grant them the... The I don't want to say the respect, but at least at least recognize what it is that they are saying, and don't make apo- don't make apologies for them that they would not make themselves.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean I think that's fair, right? So what's the problem with that? I, I don't th- this deal where we all have to pretend that things aren't what they are, and they are what they aren't. I, I can't do that anymore. The world's gotten too damn confusing as it is. And I'm just going to go back to the thing of, I'm just going to say what's in the catechism. And if I get canceled or you hate me, or you want to burn my house down, that's your problem.
1: You do what you want. Well, and I do. think we, I'm going to, the no, cross. sorry.
0: I'm going to the cross. I'm well, and camp.
1: we have this, this wrong idea today as a society, that discrimination is always wrong in every form. And I disagree with that because, because there too. are times that discrimination is right. Okay. Again, going back to the, the immoral relationship of, of, that Father Jane Martin talks about in Catholic schools do I believe that Catholic schools should discriminate against openly sinful lifestyles yes I do because in general people are sending their kids at Catholic schools for what for religious education and religious example now do they always do the best of that no I mean no school is perfect right but as a whole, the Catholic schools should be doing their best to promote Catholic faith and morals. And, you know, if you want to go into a secular world and have a job, depending on the nature of it, I may say, no, they shouldn't fire you for that because it's a secular organization who doesn't have these same faith and morals that the Catholic churches. Now, you might get into the argument, which I tend to agree with, that, you of course can't violate somebody's private property rights, you know. As far as you know, who, who they choose, they let they let in their building and their business, but that's a different discussion. Specific, well, yeah, because I
0: think I think violation of property rights. you know, there there are certain rights that are fundamental to all human beings, and uh, you don't want to, and that's, that are not conditional upon a human being's religion or or anything like that. That that we're bound to respect property rights being one of those rights. Um, but in terms, like discrimination, the word the word to discriminate comes from a Latin word, which is the same root of the word, to discern, okay? And I, I, and it kills me when people hear, I hear people say I'm against any and all forms of discrimination. And I go, okay, can I sleep with your wife? Well, well why not? You can't, well, because she only sleeps with me. Well, no, 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 no. You can't discriminate any and all forms. That's what you said. So therefore, to say that, well, she's only going to have relations with her husband and no one else, that's a form of discrimination. You can't do that. You know, think about the things you say before you say them, any and all forms Mm -hmm. of discrimination. I mean, there are things we discriminate against all the time, licitly. Now, I'm against racial discrimination, Mm -hmm. Okay, that's, yeah, okay, I'll go along with that. I'm against discriminating against people uh, based on their, um, well, in some cases, their religion, right? So, for example, I don't think it should be the case that people can't move into a certain neighborhood or live in a certain apartment building because they're Muslims, right? I don't agree with that, but when it comes time to go to communion, yeah, we're going to discriminate against you based on your religion. Because you have to be a Catholic in the state of grace to receive Holy Communion. That's a form of discrimination. So when you talk about discrimination, the setting and the sense and the and the, the whole totality of the circumstances is what determines whether or not that's morally justified or not.
1: Well, so, and and I don't want to make it seem like you know picking on and father james martin example with the schools i don't want to make it seem like i'm just discriminating against homosexual relationships because part of his gotcha question is well should we fire people that are Protestant? sure should we fire people that are using contraception and i'm like you know what actually to be honest i don't think it's a good idea for catholic schools to be hiring uh, hiring protestant teachers especially for religious education and then two if if you have a teacher in there that openly promotes contraception, get rid of him or her. Get him, you know, get him out of there. Because if I'm sending my kids to Catholic school, I am expecting them to receive a good Catholic education. Now we live in a world today where Catholic homeschool is really taking off because. People really, you know, well, for one cause, let's, let's get that out of the way. But the other reason is people feel like their their kids are not getting a proper Catholic formation in many Catholic schools today around the country.
0: And formation is not just a stupid thing to worry about. It's very important. I was talking to my wife. Um, we're talking about, we're, my wife and I are big into like true crime books and, and documentaries and things like that. And we're, we're, we're fascinated by psychopaths. Because these are people who have no conscience, uh, are totally no no capacity for remorse, and you know no no real emotions or things like that, like your serial killers and things like that. Although most psychopaths are not serial killers, but some are. Okay, but in essence, these are people who just don't think that you have. uh, They cannot empathize with other people. Don't
1: they say a lot of CEOs? What are they sociopaths or? Yeah, a lot of CEOs yeah, are sociopaths
0: like and psychopaths. There's there's a slight distinction between sociopaths and psychopaths. I mean, it's very slight, but um, essentially, the sociopath is somebody who says, "Well, if I want something, and in order to get it, I have to hurt you. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I'm not. My goal is not to hurt you, but if it happens, I don't care. Okay, that's a sociopath. A psychopath is my goal is to hurt you. I get my enjoyment out of watching you suffer." That's the psychopath. It's a little bit different, but essentially the characteristics are gonna be the same, right? No empathy, no conscience, no capacity for remorse. And these are very, they tend to be very destructive people. They tend to not have very um, uh, lasting relationships, and they have a high degree of criminality. I imagine why they okay?
1: wouldn't have good relationships.
0: They, they can't form lasting relationships with anybody, and they they, they tend to a high degree of criminality. And there's a lot of them in the average American law school. So as you can imagine, I've known a few. Um, And uh, I'm I'm fascinated by these people. Anyway, Kayla and I were talking. She's like, but I don't understand, you know, this one guy we were talking about, he was in some murder documentary we saw. He came from a good family. His brothers and his sisters weren't like this. And I said, well, yeah, but that's the thing. Environment will only account for so much of who you turn out to be. At some point, you have to make a choice to form your moral conscience, and no one can do it for you. So, so Catholic formation, we you know, we talk about giving kids the tools to to inform a moral conscience and make good decisions, so that when they're adults, they will have the capacity to choose good versus evil. Because if you don't form your moral conscience, uh, you will end up being somebody who. Whose capacity for uh, empathizing with the suffering of other people was greatly diminished, and I I take the I take the example of some of the greatest scoundrels and 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 murderers in history. Uh, Adolf Hitler was a baptized Catholic. What happened? Well, what happened is at some point in his life, he had determined that. The moral teachings of the Roman Catholic Church were not the thing that he needed to follow in order to inform what was a moral act and what was an immoral act. Instead, he looked more to the philosophers like Nietzsche and the, uh, some of the other modernist philosophers of Germany around that time who believed that the ends always justify the means and that man's greatest quest is to power, and that anybody who stands in the way of that quest needs to be eliminated. And we've seen the results of this. Uh, <laughs> at some point, at some point in time, he, and it all starts with a small transgression. Well, I'm not going to listen to the Catholic Church on this one thing. Because let's be honest, I know better than a bunch of guys in Rome of 2,000 years ago, or some, some Galilean Jew 2,000 years ago. He, I know better than he does, on, at least on this one issue. And then, and then another transgression, and then another, and then another, and then another. And then eventually, you look at yourself and you're somebody who you never would have recognized as a young person, like you're, this is not the guy I wanted to grow up to be. This happens to people. So it's very important that you get a good formation in life. That's what we call formation. You're forming yourself. Because if you think one day you're just going to wake up and be a good moral actor when you never have been before, this is just going to sort of magically happen, that ain't how it works. So, you know, I, I think it's very important to, to get a good formation. That's that's a big
1: deal. I I know everything you've been talking about was kind of on a lighter side, so I kind of want to take it down a serious path. My my wife is really big into crime shows and books and stuff like that, too. And I wow. asked her one time, I said, why are you reading all these books so you can kill me and get away with it? She goes, she just looked at me and she goes, don't tempt me. Or, 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 or yeah. she said, like, don't cross <laughs> me or something like that, right? And so I just want to yeah. let you know in all five listeners we may have regularly, I am not suicidal. If something happens, right. it was... It was uh, something something had gone awry in the Mooney household.
0: Let me give you a let me give you a nickel's worth of free <laughs> advice, young man. Uh, your wife is 9 months pregnant. You you tread carefully over there, bud. You just you just watch you
1: just watch your well, step. I get, I get diarrhea right? of the mouth too much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> give that give that woman a wide give that woman some some space. Well, I'm not going
1: to use wide birth cuz that may be offensive to <laughs>
0: right, there you go. Yeah, I, I was going to say that too, and I went, well, no pun intended, right? <laughs> all
1: right, we're two hours in.
0: We talked about a lot of things. Uh, we kind of were all over the place. But my, I, I had that idea for this that if you just sit – because I didn't know what we were going to talk about tonight. And I was like, if you just sit two guys down on a microphone, just let them talk. Uh, I, I have a I'm, – I'm kind of – my wife is the control freak, and I'm kind of the opposite of the control freak. I just kind of like – Let the mess happen, and 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 out of this mess, something amazing will come. (laughs) I don't know if that happened or not, but I I like I like what we talked about.
1: Oh no, uh, it's been good. Did you uh, did I don't know if I ever said on one of the episodes or if I even told you? Did I ever tell you uh, my lovely wife called us uh, Pinky and the Brain because. (laughs) Because I told her, because I, I was telling her one time, I said, man, Mark, uh, we were just talking. I was like, Mark's the intellectual on the podcast, and I'm the sidekick. She goes, oh, yeah, like Pinky and the Brain? She goes, but I won't say who's the brain and who's Pinky. And I said, I, said, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down.
0: <laughs> wow. wow. So
1: you're the brain, apparently.
0: you better, you, you better tread lightly <laughs> over there, bud. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you what she's had about enough of your nonsense. Let me tell you, I can I can pick up I can pick up on that. <laughs> so uh, so 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 right now, as of right now, when is uh, when is D Day?
1: As of right now, it's Tuesday, so the twenty eighth.
0: Okay. You guys are definitely going to be in our prayers. Thank uh, you. That's exciting stuff. Uh, so this is uh, your third boy. No, it'll right?
1: be the fourth boy, sixth kid boy. overall. So, outstanding. I, 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 putting together i joke because at work we get two weeks paternity leave it's actually a new benefit they gave us a few years ago so Uh i took paternity leave last year june of last year uh 2020 and this year i'm taking it two years in a row and i said if i take it again next year they gonna they're gonna be like all right we're gonna need more proof than a birth certificate you're just trying to get two extra (laughs) weeks of vacation
0: say no sir i'm just catholic <laughs> yeah. you know we got big families <laughs> or there or, or or
1: everybody's going to get a company wide email that says due to some abuses in the system we have taken away yeah. this benefit <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's great man congratulations and uh hopefully next time we talk uh uh, we'll have some good news. And, uh, do we have a name picked out yet? Or... Uh,
1: yes. And no, there is trying to be decided between sh- two, but
0: uh, can, can, can you share that? Or no, because, be to... uh, okay.
1: Ever, I don't know how the tradition started, but ever since our first child, we've always, you know, found the sex, but we've never, uh, told the name.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll, uh, we'll respect, we'll respect your boundaries. <laughs> <then>. respect, <man. laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah that's all i got man i hope everybody out there has a good week and uh to to any of our our listeners in mexico man keep the faith we're with you you know you're in our prayers definitely all right guys well that's all i got hope you all have a good week and uh we'll see you next time God god bless everyone